From the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. This week we're sharing an in-depth conversation with prolific South Korean director Hong Sang-soo. This Friday, March 9th, Hong's film Claire's Camera will open here at the Film Society for an exclusive theatrical run. Claire's Camera is one of three films Hong premiered in 2017, along with The Day After, a black-and-white tale of mistaken identity, deja vu, and adultery, and On the Beach at Night Alone, an achingly personal response to public scandals surrounding his romantic life. The latter two films had their New York premieres in the 55th New York Film Festival, during which Hong took part in one of our HBO director's dialogues. The conversation was moderated by the Film Society's Director of Programming, Dennis Lim. Let's go to that now. Welcome. Thank you. A lot of people here, I'm sure, have questions, but um, let me just start with a few. Um, and we we um, we did get into uh, a, a really interesting discussion about your process at yes last night's Q and A's. Were, was anybody at the screenings last night? Okay, so quite a few people were. We we'll try not to repeat ourselves too much. Um, one thing that's odd, often said about you is that you are a uh, prolific filmmaker. Um, this year you completed your 19th, 20th, and 21st films, or I should say you premiered them, and you've also completed a, a 22nd film. Um, I, I guess I just want to start with that, with the idea of um, this, uh, this large uh, body of work um, and this level of productivity that you've been able to sustain. Um, it seems to me, I mean, just talking to people, that you've become, especially in recent years, I think a very important model for a lot of younger and independent filmmakers um, in terms of the, the freedom of your work, your ability to work with relatively low budgets and very quickly, um, and the way in which you turn limitations into strengths, uh, the way you turn limitations into the formal qualities that actually define your work. Um, so, with that in mind, I just want to ask you, like, how easy or difficult is it for you to get a film off the ground, given that you make two or three of them a year? Um, what is the funding process? Uh, I have my own company. I, <laughs> I have uh, two uh, people I work with. My uh, company office is in, in the university building. I teach, so I don't have to pay rent. <laughs> and, and my crew these days are one, photo, uh, one cinematographer and one assistant for the cinematographer and one uh, recordist. That's the, uh, the, these three are technical uh, staff, and I have these two people I work with. Sometimes when I need, I ask for my students to join me when I, have, uh, when I need uh, more assistance. So basically, uh, including myself, 
three, four, seven or eight of them. So, and I give to these actors and actresses uh, very uh, small amount of money. Uh, my justification is uh, I I don't make a feeling to make money, <laughs> and so. And my production period is usually less than three weeks. And even within three weeks, they come to location maybe, at most seven times, sometimes three times, four times. So, so they accept that small amount of money as a compensation. So that's how I make a movie with a very, very uh, low budget. I always wanted to make uh, more films from the very beginning. So I have tried to um, develop a way that I can make film with a minimum what, facility. <laughs> so. Now, nowadays, uh, my film costs uh, less than uh, 50,000 pure uh, production and post-production costs. But I have to pay for the other things later on, uh, like a salary for these two people, and that uh, it becomes like uh, less than 100,000 per film. And I'm fortunate enough uh, that my films uh, recoup every time, so in the end I can make film whenever I want nowadays. So to, to, um, to get a little bit into the, the, the question of, of how you, you shoot, you talked a bit about this yesterday. Um, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's a really radical, you know, experimental way of working um, to really have not much of a starting point other than um, some actors and locations, um, but I'm just, and, and we should say in case people here don't know that you, you don't have a script before you start shooting and the script is written as you proceed. In fact, you write every morning and then you shoot later that day what you have written. Um, but, you know, I think, I'm wondering what happens in the lead up to the shoot. Like, what is the preparation for you before you get to that point, before day one, well, you know what what is what is that process like for you? Um, I usually start preparation uh, one month prior to the, uh, the first day of shooting. First thing I do is uh, either finding a location or finding uh, actors. Um, for the location, I just think about places I heard or the places I've been to and some places just click and I go there and look around places, neighbors. If I like it, then I go deeper, you know, I go to some restaurant there or a cafe or a playground. And if I need to get a contract before then I ask the owner I explain to him the way how how I how I make films. If he agrees or she agrees with me on this uh, way of working, I tell him that uh, maybe uh, I will come to your place uh, 
two or three times. I'm not sure, but maybe two or three times within this three weeks period of time. And then I will let you know this one or two days before. So, and uh, I ask him when is the most convenient time for him to, for us to go in and shoot. So we make a small contract with him. That way I have a few places, main places. And for the actors, I usually work with the actors I have worked with before. Sometimes I work with the newcomer. And I, I ask them, the, I will shoot in this period. Can you be free, uh, totally free? Okay. If they say yes, and then I just... So how, how I do is... Uh, Maybe two times or three times I meet them, uh, and we can drink or we can have a dinner together. We chat, so we talk about all kinds of things, um, what they do, you know, how how they are, you know, doing. That's all, because I don't know what I will shoot, so we don't really we really talk about films, and then about. One week ago, one week before the shooting, I kind of try to concentrate. So whatever I read these days, those days, uh, whatever I see, whatever I hear, it's kind of a, I test them. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? <laughs> test this sentence, I test that remarks, I test that alleys, I test all the pictures I saw. Ask all these elements to can can you be in the film? Can you be in the film like that? About one week, sometimes two weeks. And sometimes I come up with some something so I jot down. It is not uh, comprehensive or anything like that. It's uh, just uh, fragments, and I don't push myself to make some you know. I don't push myself to come up with an idea of them. I just let these fragments to be here around somewhere. And then, uh, first day of shooting, uh, one day before the first day of shooting, I just make up my mind. I will go to this restaurant. So tell the owner that I will be there. And uh, uh, I kind of know which actors will be more important by that time. So I let them know you will be there tomorrow. But I will let you know that uh, by 7 or 8 a.m., I will let you know you will be in the film. You will be needed on this occasion or not. So I start writing at um, 4 a.m. Usually, it takes me about four hours, sometimes longer. So, in the middle of a writing, I kind of know, you know which one will be in the uh, will be needed. So I let them know. I call assistant and tell her, tell him that uh, she will be, they will be needed. And before that, I I uh, I check with their own clothes, and then. 
they send me these photographs of their own clothes. I kind of give them the guideline and they get shoot this, their own clothes and send me to email. And I check the photos and then we have a one day of test shooting, maybe one week before. So I let them bring those uh, clothes I picked and then I see the clothes on them. I choose the clothes. So, so about uh, 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. I finished writing. So usually three scenes or four scenes, something like that. It's, uh, I don't know how I decide on how many scenes I uh, write. Just it's kind of one breath, as you know, it's just go forward and finish it. And, and there is, of course, I have to check the practical uh, things too while I'm writing, because I cannot write something that I cannot shoot that day. So, so I have this limitation, but it's okay with me. Very, very rarely I come up with something and maybe even two weeks before. Maybe I will need a dog who does something. Maybe I will need it. And then you know, something like that happens. Then, then I prepare for the dog. But 99% of things, almost 100% will be prepared uh, within one, two hours before starting. So I start shooting. So I give them the actors uh, start memorizing. Is it too long? <laughs> please, please continue. Oh, I, they start memorizing for all the first scene and takes. I give them uh, at most one hour, so usually 40, 40 some minutes, and then when they memorize like 80 percent. I let them gather together and then I, I, I let them play and I see and hear what they say, how they interpret it. Usually they are always amazingly good, strangely. So only when they misinterpreted my intention, then, then I tell them maybe that's not the way to go, things like that. But I kept the direction to minimal level. And then when they memorized like 90%, they say always I need more time. <laughs> but I feel like they memorized like 90%, then I go to the first take. You know what take means, you know, right? So I go to first take. And so first take can be used as a take, or I also use them first take as a kind of a serious rehearsal with the camera movements. So we monitor together with actors. And that's when you figure out the camera movements of the scenes, usually yeah, in that the, first take? Yeah, first take, just before first take, I, I talked with the cameraman when I want to pen when I want to trim, kind of speed I want, things like that. So I 
if she's the cameraman, I I always uh, sit like here, and when I need the Jimin, I tap here and we start Jimin. So we have a sign here. This is left side, right side. Bag is like uh, coming back to the. So that's how I do it. Great. Um, I wanted to take you back to what you were saying about this this one week period before you start shooting and you talk about just gathering these fragments um, can you say a bit about what these things are like usually are they a combination of just personal experience encounters things you're reading things you're can be anything you know. uh, really anything can be uh, mm-hmm. how I'm wondering how important uh, literature or just, you know, literature is to you because in the, uh, striking in the last, in the two films that we're showing here, um, we talked a bit about um, the use of the Chekhov passage in On the Beach at Night Alone and then um, there's the uh, the moment with the Soseki, Japanese author Soseki, um, the book in The Day After. So uh, I assume these are just things that you happened to be reading at the time you were making the films. Uh, Soseki, I recently uh, started reading him, and I found him very, very good author. So I have bought a few books. And the last day of uh, shooting, I wrote, I come, came up with the idea that uh, this guy will give her some book. And I had a book by him called uh, Maung in Korean, maybe it's a heart, it's mind, I don't know in English title. Gate. Huh? Gate. Gate. No, coconut. <laughs> coconut. One is the gate, and coconut is the heart. I see. Anyway, I had this Korean translation and it, it was called Maung. So I wrote uh, Maung. This guy is supposed to give her um, actress community to this book called Mom. And I was just kind of uh, guessing that uh, we will find a book there in the publishing company because I saw many, many books there. I was very uh, irresponsible in a way, but I, was, <laughs> I just went there and asked the real owner. He was always there. So ask whether you have a Soseki's uh, Mom. Maybe I have, and he searched and he came back soon. and. I don't have mom, but I have this uh, the day after. Uh, I think I just found that the real uh, English translation is uh, F. Huh? And, and then, okay. He's, he gave this book to me, and then uh, I realized that uh, this title will be used as a title of the film at the moment. And about Czech. Hope uh, before this shooting period, maybe some months before I read this book, a uh, short story by Chekhov, it's called uh, About Love. I really liked uh, the last passage, which was uh, uh, read in film. So I, I happened to have that book when I was writing that uh, uh, and I was writing for the last day of shooting. 
So in the early morning, I was thinking what I will do for the last scene. I have to wrap up, but I kind of knew that I have to wrap up because I, I let the actress meet this director. So, and then I realized I had this book. So, so I came up with the idea reading this passage. Somebody asked you yesterday about um, you know ending because given this op sort of open evolving process like how you know when the film is is done and you said you just know which I mean, ob I obviously is true but I'm I'm wondering if um, you know, as do the endings occur to you sometime before the last day of the shooting or do you or, or do you wait until then to is this something you try to not think about until it depends on the, the film. Uh, for example, the day after, um, I knew that I have only one day to go. Uh, after Kimini went back to her house, I even thought about ending their film there, but uh, maybe not. I need to have uh, one more meeting with this guy. Uh, female character in this guy. So I thought about the ending. And then, so I knew that uh, only one more day will be needed. But the film I just finished uh, one month ago, I didn't know. Uh, I was just shooting. In, it was third day of shooting. And after the third day of shooting, I was editing it. And then I realized that, that was the end. <laughs> <laughs> really, I didn't know, because only I shot three days, so. but the ending was perfect for me, so it was like that. So let's talk a bit about editing then. Do you, you typically edit as you go, and I'm wondering how long, because you, you write and shoot in sequence, I'm just wondering how long editing takes for you. I'm not sure if it's true, but I heard that the film that you made at the Cannes Film Festival last year, Clara's Camera, um, we're not, it's not showing the festival, but we are opening the film next, next spring. Um, you, were, you were shot it in, in Cannes and you were sort of done with the film by the end of the festival? You had finished editing it. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not that difficult because I, just streaming it. And then they put together, and that's the end of it. It's very easy. So, how long does editing typically take for you? Like, uh, uh, real editing takes usually one day. <laughs> but but to, to make sure, because I'm so involved with it, I want to have some distance. To, so, I have a, a one week doing nothing, and then come back and see it again, and then finish it. Wow. Um, so, maybe we could, uh, oh wait, actually, before, before I move on from editing, so what, what, is your, what is your shooting ratio then, typically? Like how much, do you use everything that you shoot, almost all the time? Or? I guess so, maybe about 95%. 95%. So, like, digital cameras haven't, like, kind of, you know, spurred you to... Because, like, now with digital, people just keep shooting, and 
you obviously don't Are you in terms of takes? Well, not so much takes, but also like just extra scenes and you know, I was trying talking about things. the scenes yeah. I shot. Right, yeah. but the scenes you, yeah. Um, I think 95%. Right. Yeah. But even, even with takes, you don't do that many, right? You do. I think I didn't calculate, but I think uh, usually around seven, eight, but less than 10 takes. Yeah. But sometimes I go over like 30 takes. Uh, but that's very rare. Usually, I think less than 10 takes. Yeah. Um, another thing you said yesterday that I, I, I found really striking was you, you talked about just the element of, um, of mystery. Um, you talk about just the relationship between you and your actors is, is, is something mysterious. Um, and you talk about just approaching this process of shooting and, and, uh, and making the film in a way that is very... Uh, open of just like being you know of accepting what is uh given to you and there's something almost kind of uh, i don't know if mystical is the word but um and you also alluded a few times to bresson yesterday so i'm just wondering if you i guess the question for me is like what are you in a fundamentally different headspace when you're on set you know like what what does it mean to be more more alert to the world more open to what it's giving you um, of course, I have a, all the time I have some kind of intention to anything I do. You can, we cannot help having some intention, you know, purpose or goal, aim, things like that. But I try to push them away as much as I can. That's what I do. So the driving force. Is, it takes place. Uh, <coughs> for me, it feels like uh, it's just given to me at the moment. So, important decision in making film takes place. For me, it feels like it's just given to me. So I don't give myself the, too much time for that important decision making. After that decision-making, then, then I automatically think about the effect and things like that. I try to avoid, I try to push them away. So it's like a struggle between those two different minds. But I think everyone is in the same position, but the, which part is more stronger is the different thing. Um. Shifting gears a bit, um, you mentioned just sort of being able to work out of um, university where you teach and, and sort of working with your students on, on some of your films as well. Um, I'm curious to hear you talk about teaching. Like, how do you, what, you know, what's your, how do you teach? What do you teach? <laughs> I, I think what I do is. Uh, uh, I let them write something and try to find something good in their writing, even though they didn't notice it, and then persuade them, you have a good thing here. Keep telling him or her, that you have a good thing here. That's what I do. Uh, <clears throat> do your students work uh, do any of them try to work the way that you do, just in terms of just this you know, spontaneity and 
maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's my temperament that decide this kind of uh, this way of working. But for filmmaking, this kind of temperament doesn't doesn't seem to be very suitable because filmmaking requires a lots of preparation and usually costs very high the production costs. So. But my temperament is important, <laughs> I guess. So I try to. I want to leave some time for audience questions, so I'll just ask one more. Um, you, I noticed that you, you actually rewatched both films um, here um, when they showed the first time, um, which doesn't happen with um, a lot of filmmakers. They, once they're done with the film, I don't think they're interested in that experience necessarily. Um, you seem quite happy and willing to do that, and uh, I'm wondering what you, what, what do you see and what do you look for when you're rewatching your your own films. Uh, I'm too that I try not to see the film I made usually, but when I'm when I was here, I had a cinematographer with me, and his wife didn't see the film, so my cinematographer has had to be in the theater, so I was in the theater. <laughs> but. Uh, also, I was curious, really, uh, uh, how this New York uh, citizens, the audience from New York, react, how they received the film. I was uh, curious, and uh, I was very happy. I was very happy to be in the theater with the audience. Because, uh, Have you found that there are fundamental differences in terms of how audiences from different places or, you know, Korean-speaking audiences versus I cannot generalize anything, you know. It, I guess there must be some factors, that even each factor varies in each day. I don't know. <laughs> All right, we have time for some questions from the audience. Yes? So, I'm a great fan of your films. I've been going for many decades to see them. Uh, in, 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 um, on the beach, uh, at night alone, uh, the heroine says, men are idiots. Uh, and she also, um, at one point, uh, bows and, and prays before uh, crossing the bridge. So I guess it's a two-pronged question. One is, um, so often in your film, the men are, men are very dog-like, you know, and they are idiotic. Um, and, um, but they're also... I can't help feeling a kind of a, a, a spiritual element that the films are pushing toward, you know, uh, some kind of hunger, even if they don't get there, you know. So um, I know you mentioned Vassan and and and, uh, and Chaseki also has has this. So um, how do you combine these these two ideas of um, men being kind of like basically uh, driven by their dog-like hungers? And also this spiritual element. I always wanted to be free, and I'm not. <coughs> um, to be free, I have uh, experimented with many uh, methods. 
And one of the methods that I still use is uh, look at things as they are. Try to. So, is it okay? Uh, here. Hello. So I watched um, a lot of your films, and I think your editing is so intriguing, and I like it. But um, my question is: Do you have any advice for younger generation filmmakers? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> so. I have uh, two quick questions, or one is very quick. Um, if you start writing at 4 a.m., what time do you go to sleep? That's... But, uh, usually, try to sleep early, but I end up going to sleep 1 a.m. or 12 o'clock. <laughs> and um, do you... So you shoot a lot of scenes in one take. Do you ever wish you could edit? Like, do you ever wish that, oh, I love the way the beginning of the scene was here, but the end here? In the beginning of my career, <laughs> if I can call it career, <laughs> uh, I, that was the thing. You know, uh, I had many uh, experiences when I was doing editing, you know. This where to cut, I cannot cut in the, in the middle. But um, I, I think I got better by experiencing this long takes again and again. So I kind of solved the, all the problem on the set now. So when I look at the footage I shot, there's no problem because I, I kind of think through on the set. So when I do editing, I have no problem. But in the beginning, I missed a few things. And uh, when I was doing editing, I had this uh, difficulty deciding where to start. And at this point, do you decide on set, OK, that was the take, and never look at the other takes again? What I meant is, uh, of course, I have one okay tag and usually one or two keeps. So I look at all of them. What I meant was uh, if this is a seven minutes take, and in the beginning, uh, I was so into it and I didn't have enough experience. So some part in the beginning, some part in the ending was not really well uh, executed. So I had this terrible memory <laughs> in, when I was doing editing a few times. But I, it was so terrible. So when I, even though I am so involved with the scene and acting, and I tried to be cool, and I don't want to regret in the editing room. So, so doing the shooting, doing the in-between takes, I think through, and so 
I have this material for, uh, take that can be used from the beginning to the end. So I don't have problem. You know what I mean? That I, I misunderstood the question. Um, hi. Um, obviously, you have a very interesting and unique writing process. So I wonder, have you ever had writer's block? And if you do, how would you deal with them? Um, also, um, how, do you write your scenes chronologically? Um, if not, how would you arrange them later? I write in chronological order. That's absolutely, absolutely necessary for me. I don't have an outline. I only write based on the, what I wrote, or I shot yesterday or the other day. So I need to shoot everything in chronological order. About the writer's blog, I heard about them. But, uh, <laughs> But I never give me uh, myself uh, that chance to experience it because uh, I always have these people waiting for me. You know what I mean? I have to write. So <laughs> then you end up writing something. Um, so are you satisfied after like writing a scene? You know, I did my best. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Because your films talk about everyday life and what humans, how humans behave normally, just living, how do you guide your actors to not force, to not act, let's say? What is their, yeah, how do you talk to them? I, I think uh, the, I give them two things, which, is, uh, which are uh, dialogue that they can work with comfortably, at least that's what I hope for. And the other thing is I give them nothing. I, didn't, I don't give them any explanation about character, or background story, things like that. They are virtually come to set knowing nothing. So they have nothing to prepare. So they have no way to bring something from their memories. Make it prettier or make it more understandable, whatever their calculation. They cannot use it because it, when they arrive, there's already, already printout waiting for them. They are so busy memorizing the lines. You know what I mean? Yeah, they have no time. Only when they have real problem understanding some emotion of that line, then I give them some explanation about maybe this guy was thinking this kind of thing, things like that. But only when, when they really need it. Otherwise, I don't give them anything, anything. I just give them the lines they feel comfortable. I try to. Um, I was just wondering if you ever let your actors improvise at all, as there are such long scenes. I, they they follow the, all the lines faithfully, ninety nine percent. 
but each take they have a freedom to how to interpret their lines. You mentioned once having to take 30 takes of a scene. Can you remember why it took so long for that particular scene? And one other quick question, why is the day after in black and white? The, the scene I remember, the take I remember is the, the, is the feeling called the, the day he arrives. Uh, that is a main male character uh, supposed to uh, talk about this, the coincidence, things like that. And he didn't have this uh, intellectual background, I guess. So he had a real hard time to memorize these lines. Has some abstract quality. So he we kept on shooting. It was, I think, maybe 70 takes, something like that. And about the second question, why black and white? Why is not important? You know, I feel like it, so then I do it. Your movies, to me, seem to capture some secret about reality or the nature of reality. And some examples would be the way that time works in your movies or doesn't quite work in the way that we expect it to, or the way that a certain scenario could play out in multiple variations. And I'm wondering, this secret could be called a spiritual secret. Maybe it could be called a metaphysical secret. Do you think of your movies in this way? Or do you prefer not to think of them in that way? Mm -hmm. Even though we act most of the time as if we are uh, living on the same level of reality. If, we, for example, if we ask really concrete questions, keep on asking the same question, then we realize we are not on the same level of reality, right? For example, you can have a girlfriend you really love dearly, and you have lived with her for 10 years, and you ask her this very minute question, keep asking her, then you realize you are perceiving this thing very differently from her, and you never realized it. So only a, only a certain degree, within certain degree, we, we are pretending, we want to believe that we are living on the same reality. But reality can never be captured we are just living on a cloud. But we want to live together out of necessity. 
So we have made some kind of contract uh, that uh, we we pretend to <laughs> we like pretend that we live in the same reality. For example, we can share one ice cream and we can talk about the taste of it 100 years. And I will never know what he feels about this ice cream. Right? <laughs> so the taste of one same ice cream we can never share. We just pretend we know how he feels about this ice cream. So reality is, is not there. It's not there for us to capture. We are just living as a human being within limitation of human sensation, whatever. So I'm curious, always interested in the so-called reality. Because of that interest, I feel freer. But the feeling is a medium we are supposed to uh, share with others. I, mean, I have to communicate something. With some, 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 some levels, I put something which is cliche. Some level, I put some techniques that can be used. to give the impression of, uh, it's just a cliche, actually. You, I give them something and then when they see it, as they expect it, it progress, then they think it's, they know what it is, right? So I give them something like that, but uh, at the same time, I give them something they don't understand. I mix them together. We have to wrap it at nine, so I can take one final question. Uh, yeah, let's go to you. Yeah. Uh, so in your past films, I feel like the protagonist is always on the people involved in the affair, but in the day after particular, um, I feel like the protagonist kind of shifts to the observer of the fear inside of, instead of the outside, uh, instead of the people who's actually in the fear. So uh, would you like to share with us why you make this kind of shift? I'm sorry, I didn't really hear what you were asking. Can you, can uh, you repeat your question? So I feel like in your past films, um, the protagonist is always the people who's involved in the fear. In fear. Um, a fear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in the day after um, particular, I feel like the protagonist is more like the observer of the fear. The, the reason I think we cannot change ourselves so easily, we cannot change ourselves as much as we can, we want, is because of fear. Uh, the things we are stuck with 
we want to get rid of him. We know in, in distance, we know it's wrong, but we cannot change it because it is because uh, we have fear. That's how, how I see. So it's fear is important thing. So courage is important. You know, just without courage, you cannot uh, fight with this fear. And then when you face the fear, then you see fear. All these things are dangling underneath this fear. So if you have one uh, prejudice that you want to change, you are so shameful to talk about, but you want to get rid of it, you know it's wrong, but you, when you are faced <laughs> with a real person, you cannot overcome that fear. Uh, it's a fear. Fear is the thing that keeps you in that prejudice or darkness. So I'm not actually answering it to your question. <laughs> I think that's how I answer to your question. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let's wrap it up. Thank you so much. The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.